Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I want to begin by telling you something uh, about me, which is that I'm, I'm a little OCD, just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit. There's a few things uh, uh, about me, about my personality. It's kind of, it's just a little bit OCD and I kind of feel this way. If it's meant to be straight, make it straight. If it's meant to be messy, I'm okay with mess as long as it's supposed to be messy, right? But it's meant to be straight, you make it straight. And this kind of thing, it comes up in my life. Like when I go to the petrol station and I'm filling up, I want a right, nice round number. It's like $49 and 99 cents. And I'm thinking, can I do this? Can we get to 50? Because if I get over it, I need the next round number, but the tank is nearly full and I don't know if I can handle it. And so, you know, like, I, and then you just give it one more squeeze and guess what happens? $50.01, right? Well, now we're going to $55. I don't care where it is. Get me a bucket. So I, I just, let's, let's just round it up. Let's just even it off, you know? And, and uh, this, <laughs> it, it, it happens to me. This is going to sound crazy, but some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. I have an iPhone, right? And um, I, I, I like it when my calendar syncs with my computer. But it doesn't always work. And that is a black hole of time for me. Because when something doesn't work, and it's supposed to, it gets at me. So I will fix it. And I will fix it when I don't have time because I can't help it because I need to figure out why the thing that's broken is not working. And that might be a man thing. I'm not sure if it's a, it's a man thing. It's like if it's broken and you tell me about it, I want to find how to make it work. And it's like, honestly, it's like, ladies, like, don't, if you don't want it fixed, don't tell us that it's broken because we will want to fix it. I feel like it's just that thing that's sort of inside of us. If something's broken, I, I, I really want to fix it. Unless the football's on, then it can probably wait a couple of hours. But look, I don't think that this is just a man thing. I think that, that this, this compulsion to get things done or do it right, I know that this is, a, this is a lady thing too. And the other day I got out my wife's uh, iPhone. Don't ask why I was on there. Um, and so I noticed that she had uh, color-coded her apps appropriately so that as you scroll it's like looking at a rainbow right now I knew you wouldn't know what I was talking about so I took some screenshots if we can just have that first slide so we can see, do you see that so she has color-coded her apps so that the blue ones are together and they fade into like an orange and then it goes into like a green uh, that fades beautifully purple into a red. I thought this was the craziest thing that I have uh, ever seen. And uh, it, I mean, it kind of looks pretty nice, except for the fact that you'll notice in the third slide on the top left-hand corner that she's a Collingwood supporter, but we're still working through this. And so, you know, it's one of those things. That, anyway, this is the thing, you know. Uh, uh, it, it, it's, you know, she's, you know, it's not like she doesn't have a choice. She's got a choice about where to put those apps, but you can be pretty sure that she's making sure that they fit. And this sort of idea of, of being obsessive compulsive about 
making sure that you do something the way that it's supposed to be done. I mean, have you, is it just me or have you ever felt like that? Like there's just some things that need to be done right. Where's Keith Townend? Like starting in Genesis, Mr. Accountant, because that's the way it's supposed to be done. And so it's just one of those things, you know, it sort of happens to people. I want to tell you about a guy in the Bible today. His name is Paul. And Paul was a, a, a very religious uh, man. And he was a uh, part of this religious group called the, uh, the Pharisees, this very religious group of Jewish people. But he has an encounter with Jesus. And his encounter with Jesus, it transforms his life in the most significant way. And it does something inside of Paul that gives him this compulsion with which to behave and act. And it's almost as if, just like when you're OCD and you have to do it, it's like, we know that you really have a choice, but let's be honest, you don't really have a choice when you struggle with OCD. It's called obsessive compulsive for a reason. Paul put, sort of becomes this way about his life. And I wanna to talk to you about that today. So we're gonna read a scripture. It comes out of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter to four verses one to seven. This is Paul the Apostle. He's now writing a letter. He is now a Jesus follower. He is a Christian. And he says this uh, beginning in verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And that word walk, it simply means the way that you live. So he's really just saying, I urge you to live in a manner that's worthy of the calling, which is God's assignment for you, which if you don't know, He has a plan for your life. He says, I want you to live your way in such a way that the plan for God's life to which you've been called uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's a lot of alls. Uh, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want to preach a message to you this morning called Every One. Everyone, Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we just ask that today you speak to us. We want to have our, our minds open, our hearts open to, to, to your word, to, to, to hear what it says. And Father, we pray for transformation. We came here to, today to be moved by your presence and by your spirit. And God, I pray that we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, my dad would frequently use this phrase. And it was always used on the way to somewhere. And he would look back into the car and he would say, if you keep that up, I will turn this car around. And the reason that he would say that was because me and my brothers, we were fighting, we were arguing, we were yelling, we were mucking around. And, and he would turn around and say, if you don't cut that out, I will turn this car around. And, you know, we wanted to go wherever we were going, whether we were on holidays or, you know, traveling somewhere. It's like we wanted to get there. So when dad said to us, I will turn this car around, we believed him. And so we behaved accordingly. Now, this is the thing. I'm a dad now. And, you know, this is the thing that really freaks you out is that you just suddenly, it's like the things of your parents just come out of your mouth. 
So we'll be going somewhere and I'll look around into the car and the kids will be going kind of crazy. And I'll say, if you don't cut this thing out, I will turn this car around. And I thought that worked for me when I was a kid. And it doesn't stop there. I say other things too. We have on Friday nights, it's pizza Friday at our house. And so if the kids don't behave properly, I will say, you know what? There will be no pizza tonight if you don't behave. If you're a parent, you understand what I'm talking about. You just start to throw these things. There's no pizza tonight. I will turn this car around, all the rest of it, right? Now, this is the thing. I don't want to follow through with any of those threats because I want to go on holidays. Do you know who's most upset about pizza night? Me, because I want pizza night. So when I say, you better behave or there's no pizza, what I really mean is, I'm still getting pizza after you go to bed. You can go to bed without pizza. I'm going out late night, pizza hut, delivery, whatever. I will find a late night pizza shop and, and, and do that, right? Because I, I, I don't want to follow through with it. But you know that when you say something, oh, there's a good parenting lesson right here. When you say it, you gotta follow through. Because if you don't, here's what will happen. You'll say, if you don't cut that out, I will turn this car around. And they'll say, no, you won't. You never do. Pizza, we're definitely getting pizza tonight. They never expect you to follow through. So you've got to do with it. Now, here's my point. You have a choice. But you don't really, if you understand what I'm saying. You have a choice, but you don't, your choices, your options are limited. You have the choice about whether to follow through with what you said you were going to do, but if you don't, it's going to cause you more problems later on. So you're kind of compelled to respond that way. And sometimes life will present itself. These things happen in life where you just really just don't have a choice. And this is where the Apostle Paul finds himself He's a man who's been transformed by the power of God, by this encounter with Jesus. And it's like he has plenty of choices about what he can do with his life, but he doesn't really have a choice if you understand what I mean. I'm reading the opening of this passage and it says, uh, I therefore a prisoner. And I was thinking, you are a prisoner. Now, do you know why he uses the word prisoner? because he was in prison, okay? So that's why he says that. He's in prison. In fact, if you read through some of the things that Paul writes, he's often in prison. I started flicking through this man's life. He is shipwrecked, starving, getting beaten up. There was a couple times I thought he was dead, but he came back to life. He was revived. He was poor. He went through so much in life, and it's not like he didn't have a choice. He had a choice. Couldn't he just at any point during his Christian life just say, I've had enough of this. I'm not doing this anymore. I have paid a price too high for too long. I'm quitting early. I'm just going to give up. I'm just sort of going to walk away. But he couldn't. Do you know why? He had an encounter with Jesus and he was a little OCD. He was compelled like he didn't have a choice. This compulsion set up the course for the rest of his life and he never walked away from it and he never deterred from it. When God gets a hold of your life, your choices become limited. When God gets a hold of your 
heart, it's not like you can't choose what to do with your future. But when God has your heart, your choices become limited because there's a compulsion in you driving you to live a life that's not only going to please Christ, but also serve Him. And I remember when this began to happen to me, there's a big period of my life where I just didn't go to church and I wasn't interested in, in church. But then I became a Christian and I started attending and I felt like Jesus said to me, I just want you to go to church every week. I said, all right, if you want me there every week, that's where, I, that's where I'm going to be on Sunday morning. So I did. And then I used to play sport during the week. And I remember God coming to me and I felt like He was asking me that I should quit playing some of the sports that I was playing and start attending a small group. So I did. I said yes. And I quit playing sport because I thought, I just want to pursue whatever it is that you have got for me in my life. So I quit my sports and started, uh, you know, attending a small group. Years later, I remember I came and started attending this church and uh, they said, hey, listen, would you mind serving in a host team? And I said, yes, I will do that, Jesus, because sometimes when people are asking you to do something, it's actually Jesus giving you an opportunity. So I always wanted to say yes to the opportunities that Jesus would give me. So I said, yes, I will join a, a host team. And then after that, they said, hey, listen, what would you think about becoming a host captain? That's really just welcoming people on the doors and seating people. And, you know, I thought I love people. So that's a great job for me. So I said, yes, I will be a, a host captain. After that, they said, could you look after the new Christians team? I said, I love new Christians. Would you look after our guests? I love guests. Yes, new people. I, I would love to do that job. So they put me in charge of that. Then the big one came uh, in 2009 where they said, uh, would you like to quit your well-paying job to come and work at the church? We'll pay you uh, less than a, a, about a third of what you're, you're currently on. And, and how would you like to do that? I said, yes, Jesus, I would love to do that. Why? Because I want to follow God's plan for my life. And I knew it would come at a cost. And that was cool. I was all right with that. Yes, Jesus, I will do that. After that, they said, hey, listen, what would you think about being the executive pastor of the church? I said, yes, Jesus, I would love to do that. And then they said, after that, uh, I remember my pastor, he come to me one time. He says, hey, listen, uh, I'm thinking that God's calling me to be an itinerant minister, which means that I'm going to travel around and, and speak in different churches. Uh, what would you think about becoming the senior pastor of the church? And I prayed about it and felt like God said yes. So I said, yes, Jesus, I would love to take over the church and become the senior pastor of the church. And then I'm even at the church uh, being the senior pastor and uh, our, our regional leader, we're part of a, a movement of churches called the Australian Christian. Christian churches, and then the, uh, the, the, the leader of the region comes to me and he says to me, Ben, I feel like you would be a great district leader for our movement. Would you like to be the district leader? It doesn't pay anything and it's more work. And I said, Jesus, I would love to do that job and because I have so much time on my hands. Anyway, I said yes. And, and, and so I just kept saying yes to Jesus because, you know, I wanted to pursue whatever it is that He had for me. And I realized that opportunities to serve Jesus kept coming through people that were asking me. I've discovered something is that the more I say yes to God, the more I say yes to Jesus, the more He graces me to handle the opportunities that He brings my way. Now, if you're listening, God is asking. 
if you're listening, God is asking. I don't know if you've ever really thought about the plan that God has for your life. But when I say plan, I mean beginning, middle, end. Have you ever considered the plan that God has for your life? You've, sometimes people come to church, they think that the whole plan unfolded the moment they said, I want to give my life to Jesus. They think that that's where it's at. No, that's just the beginning. Actually, salvation, that's just the very beginning. What, see, what happens is, is that people come in and they encounter truth. They encounter Jesus the same way, the same way that uh, Paul did on the road to Damascus. And then uh, something happens inside of them and they say, I want to give my heart to, to Jesus. And so what happens is, is when they say yes to him, it, the Bible just doesn't go ahead and say that uh, you uh, just become saved and so forth. It says something internally happens. You don't just become like this new person, you're an entirely new creation. You're a new creation, you're a new person, you have a new purpose, and salvation is really just the beginning of that. Because after that, that's like step one. I feel like step one is something that we sometimes celebrate in church, and in the current climate of church, did you know that globally speaking, and this is only in the Western church, but globally speaking, that a church attendance rates is about 50 to 60% on any weekly basis, which means the church is in church about half the year. And I thought, thought that that was pretty interesting. So we kind of like, we don't want to overcorrect by celebrating attendance if you're a Christian, because that's like a minimum, right? It's like, you came, I oh, know, awesome. I mean, there's other stuff. There's other things that are happening and going on. It's like, that's just really step one. There's actually a, a step two. And this might come as a shock to some people. God actually has an expectation for us to keep walking this thing called life and faith out. You know, there is a step two. I mean, not, not taking step two. It's kind of like, imagine going to university and studying for four years to get a degree or going and doing a trade, going to trade school, and you do an apprenticeship, and four years you finish your apprenticeship. And when you get out, you don't work for the rest of your life. It's like, that was just the beginning. It's actually setting you up for something else. There's a step two. There's something else that you're supposed to do. And this new thing, I'll make this so easy. Oh, so easy this morning. The new thing that you're supposed to do is serve. Yep. That's step two. So you just start serving. You know, the Bible, someone said to, to Jesus, they asked him one time, and they said, what are the most important commandments? And he kind of summarized the Old Testament this way. He said, love God and love people. But I thought love really needs to look like something, doesn't it? I mean, when do we take the theory of loving people and make it practical, and how would they even know if it was? If I tell you I love my wife, right? Imagine I would say, I, Sarah, I love you so much, but after the wedding day, I'd do nothing for her for the rest of our lives. She's going to question the meaning of my words. 
She's going to say, I don't know if you really mean that. They kind of sound empty because since our wedding day, it's just like you haven't actually done anything at all. It's not my words that's going to indicate to her that I love her. Love is a verb. Love is practical. Love is displayed. Love is shown. And when you love, you've got to do something on the outside that represents what's going on the inside. Or how do you begin to show that you love God? You just start serving Him. You start serving people. Why? Because you realize that's something that God wants you to do. Love without service is like having a gym membership that you never use. So I get this gym membership. And these things are awesome because they help you lose fat, right? So I joined the gym and then when I go to the gym, I say, they say, well, welcome aboard. And I go, awesome. So when does the fat start falling off? Because I feel ready for this. And they say, well, like, no, you got to use your gym membership. And I'm like, really? Well, all right then, if you say so. When does the fat, when does the fat start falling off? Someone says, that's not how you use a gym membership. I'm like, well, that's what I thought I was paying for. No, that's not how you... Listen, let me explain something to you about the gym is that that just gets you through the door. If you want to lose the fat, it's really hard work. It's going to be a lot of sweating. It's going to be some skins, you know, the tight pants that you wear. It's like, there's going to be some sweat. It's going to be, this is what's going to happen, right? It's hard work. Did you know that James... Jesus' brother, he said the same thing. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works, but we're still cool. And James goes, what's wrong with you, man? Actually, I'll show you what I believe by my actions and by my behavior. So we've got to take the idea of love and make it practical. And the way that you practically show, I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about Jesus, your spouse. You know, like for some of us, you know, when you've been married for a long time, you forget that you're supposed to serve your spouse. That's going to help someone here, I think, you know. It's like you're supposed to continue to serve them. Why? That's how people understand sometimes that you actually, actually love them. Now, serving is not a new idea to the church. In fact, the very first church, the very first church, man, it was crazy. Let me tell you what was going on. The Holy Spirit comes and fills these people. They start preaching. 5,000 people joined the church, like, bam. And that's just the men. Sorry, ladies. They didn't count the ladies back then. Don't shoot me. I'm just the preacher. I should get that on a t-shirt. This is, this is the thing, right? This feels like something safe to wear, you know? But they didn't count the ladies. But I don't know, what are you talking like? 15,000 people? Look at a mega church overnight. It's crazy. After people are getting saved, God is moving. There are healings going on. The Holy Spirit is moving in that. And, 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 then, and then the disciples, they figured out this next point really quickly. A growing church needs a helping hand. A growing church needs a helping hand. And I'm, I'm just not trying to be... Sounds like an infomercial, but I really mean like a helping hand. Let, let me show you what I mean by this. Let's go to the next scripture. This is the very first church, and this is Acts chapter 42. This is where we begin. It says, and, in, and every day, say every day. Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? Every day in the temple, that's like church. And from house to house, that's like our small groups. They did not cease pre, uh, teaching and preaching 
that the Christ is Jesus. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, because it's just the church is just exploding, it's, it's awesome, right? When the church was increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's just Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists uh, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. See, there's a lot of poor people around, and they've taken up a collection, and they're distributing food, but the disciples, these awesome guys that are leading the church, are apparently not equipped enough to to understand who to hand food to, right? So it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Next slide. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and, uh, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and uh, Nic- uh, Nicanor, and Timon, who coincidentally was a, a meerkat, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Next slide. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Just stop right there. Don't go to the next one. Let me tell you what's happening. The church is exploding. The church is growing. Everyone's excited. They're pumped about it, right? But the disciples, man, these guys are stretched. They're trying to run around and do everything, right? And so they said, this is crazy. Do you know what we need? We need everyone. We need everyone to help us. But we're going to start with seven, but we need help because if, if we keep going this way, we're going to have major issues and we're not going to be able to preach the word. So we need like everyone to help us do church. And so then they find these seven guys and then they release them to be doing the distribution of the food. What do you think happened next? Check this next part out. This is so awesome. It says, and the word of God, after they appointed these people to help, The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Multiplied, not addition. That's a better way to look at it. And a great many of the priests became, that's Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. Man, what began to happen is when they appointed people to begin to help and when everyone started pitching in and saying, I can do something, I can help, I can like distribute this and that and all the rest of it. The disciples were able to focus on the things that they needed to be focused on. Everybody knew what they were supposed to be doing. This thing became a well-oiled machine and suddenly multiplication in the church started happening because everyone was able to pitch in and help out. I just thought that is an awesome idea. I'll tell you something else that caught my attention though as I was reading this. I was looking at the criteria. You can go to the next slide, guys. I was looking at the criteria for this person, for these people to help them uh, distribute the food. They had to be full of wisdom and full of the Spirit of God. Now, I have a recruitment background. And I read that, and I'm like, really? Honestly, they needed to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to hand out food. I'm like, so recruitment background, right? So... 
I'm thinking, if this was me, do they have an arm? Yeah. Well, I'm interested. Do they have two arms? Yeah. I'm real interested. Do they know how to use a wet cloth? Yeah. Oh, this is our guys. Have they demonstrated the ability to use a bucket? Do they know the principle of a bucket and a wet cloth? And we train these guys. They know what they're doing. It's like, I'm interested. We found our men. But this is not what the Bible says. It's like, these guys have to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, man, one of these names that really sticks out to me is this guy named Stephen. And if you don't know anything about Stephen... Uh, uh, Stephen, he was just one of the seven. And if you keep reading, it says later on that he was full of grace and was doing amazing signs and wonders, so much so that he ends up getting arrested. And then and, and the end of that, he make, at, or when he, after he gets arrested, he makes this huge speech. Did you know that the longest speech in the Bible, it's not Jesus, it's not Paul, it's this guy, Stephen, that's handing out food. Like, and he makes this unbelievable speech. He is eloquent. He's talking to Pharisees, religious people. He makes this eloquent speech. They're going, this is ridiculous. This guy is amazing. He is healing people. There are signs. There is wonders. He's eloquent. Longest speech ever recorded in the Bible, right? Stephen's speech. I'm looking at this guy, and you're probably thinking the same thing that I was thinking, which is, this guy is overqualified for the task he's got. He's got mad skills. And he's healing and all of this stuff is happening, but he's waiting on tables. What's my point? Get ready for this point. Stephen's ministry was not summarized in his service. Stephen's ministry was not summarized in his service. It was just a job that had to be done and he was willing to do it. My wife came to me last week and she said, it's Wednesday night, the bins need to go out. I turned to her, I said, do you know who I am? I'm, I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't do those jobs. I said to her, I said, how could you ask me to come down to such a level to take out the bins? That, do you know what? I should allocate myself to the preaching of the word and the gospel of Jesus. And I didn't say that. I said, yeah, sure, babe, get right on it. You know why? Because if we don't do it, there's going to be a smell in the house and the bag's going to start piling up. And it's like, who cares? In my house, I empty the pins. Why? Well, it's just a job that needs to be done. And just because I do that doesn't summarize my ministry. It's just, <laughs> it just needs to be done. I've never met anyone that felt like cleaning was their thing to do for Jesus, right? I never met anyone that felt like that. Sometimes, hey, you know, it's just a job to be done. And I love that we have an amazing elder in Ann Broom who said, and, and uh, uh, Len, who's not, a, who's not an elder, but these guys, they said, hey, look, no one's, no one's able to clean the church. We're going to do it. And uh, I'm working in our kids' room the other day. And, and uh, come on, you can clap them. 
we're renovating some offices right now. I don't have the space that I need, so I'm working from the kids' room. And they walk in, and I said, what are you doing here? They said, we're here to clean. How many of us understand that cleaning is not all they have to offer? It's just a job that needed to be done, and so they're just willing to do it. I think that that's awesome. I think that's uh, amazing, you know. I'm like, you know, honestly, when it comes to ministry and service, which is sometimes different, but they can be the same thing, I'm like, just Nike, man, just do it. It just needs to be done. Just get, does it help? Yeah, well, I'm interested. I, I, I'm going to help out. That's why I kept saying yes to everything that I was ever asked to do. I wasn't really sure it was going to be my whole ministry. I just thought, man, I just want to help out. I just think it's a really good idea to do that. How many of us understand that the more that we partner up, the greater impact we make? You know, when Paul wrote that letter that we read this morning, when he wrote those, those little verses, those few verses that we read this morning, just so you know, that's not a corrective letter. He's not writing that to them saying, you guys have got problems, you need to deal with it. It's not corrective, it's prescriptive. In other words, he's saying, guys, this is just how you do church. And he makes a whole heap of points. I just want to make two and then I'm done. Just two points. Here's my first point. He says, when you start to serve... <laughs> When you start to serve, there's got to be a spirit of love because the spirit of love, it maintains unity. You know why? Because you know what? Sometimes people are going to make mistakes and that's all right. That's cool. I would love to tell you this. Welcome to Activate Church. This is the only perfect church on the planet. We never get anything wrong because it starts at the top and flows down. But you all know I'm lying. Everyone here knows that that's not true. That's not correct. Come on. We can't get everything right all the time. No one's perfect. In fact, get this, check this out. Church isn't even a place for perfect people. I know that sometimes if you're not Christian, you think that that's like all the good people come here. No, they don't. It's just everyone that needs Jesus. And sometimes anyone that needs Jesus, we just let people serve because, you know, this is their expression of how they love God. So we're going to give people a go. And sometimes it's not perfect. But if we keep loving each other really well, it's going to bring unity to everything that we do. And you know what the Bible says about unity? Where brothers dwell in unity, there God commands a blessing. And I'm telling you, is that the more that we dwell in love and unity together, man, God's just going to keep growing this church and doing amazing things. That was my first point. It's got to be a spirit of love. Here's the second point. There's got to be a spirit of humility. That's how Anne Broom is able to clean the toilets on Friday afternoons because there's a spirit of humility about it. That's why she's able to do it. It's got to be a spirit of humility because you know what? This is one thing that I've learned. The Spirit of God, He distributes different gifts to different people. Who cares? It's a manifestation of the Spirit as He wills, not as anyone else wills. So all we really want to do is just release people into what they're able to do. Uh, don't, we, can, we can't get upset about that. Some jobs are going to, you know, be simpler than others. What's my job? Well, my job this morning is pretty simple. I mean, I'm just getting up and talking. It's like my only skill and I'm still working on it, you know. But there, we have amazing people that do so many things around the church. And I don't rank them. It's not like it's lower or higher levels. It's just like, hey, man, we just got a job that needs to get done. This isn't a church idea. This ain't even my idea. Get ready for this. This is a Jesus idea. Do you know what Jesus did? A couple of his disciples, they're sitting around one day. They're having this argument about who's the greatest. Bad idea. Jesus overhears, comes over. He says this. He says, you know what? He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And then he dropped the mic. Because they're arguing about who's great based on their, what they do. He's like, hey, you know what? We live in an upside down kingdom right here. If you want to be great, you got to become a servant. 
What do servants do? They serve. (laughs) You want to become great in the kingdom of God, start serving Jesus, start serving people. Husbands, start serving your wife. Just start serving, serving people. Man, I I was at church, uh, it was like a couple months ago. And this lady came back to me, up to me, it was her second week at church. And she came up to me, she said, can I tell you something about your church? I said, yes. She said, I love this place so much. This is an amazing church. And do you know what brought me back? So I'm thinking, what brought you back? It's gotta be that preacher. He was, he was awesome last week. Or maybe it was the worship. Because worship, man, that we had a great team on. Not, not every church has as good coffee as us. Maybe it was the coffee. I don't know. She's telling me, what do you think it was? I didn't answer her question because I'm not that dumb. So I, I say, I have no idea. Could you tell me what brought you back? She says, yes, I met a lady named Joe, And as I was on my way out, she smiled at me and she was so nice. And I thought, this place is awesome. I'm coming back. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Because I worked on that message. It was still the message, right? Do you know how much work it takes to just write a sermon? And when you hear it, I've already preached it twice before it even gets to this room. And you're telling me that the thing that brought you back was Joe Lucarelli's smile? That's crazy. And then I had an idea because I'm entrepreneurial. I'm wasting my time. (laughs) Why am I spending all this time writing a sermon when her smile is enough to bring people back? So what I thought is, next slide, we could just have a photo. I don't even need to preach. I should just shut up. We will just walk into this room and I will show you that picture. God bless you. We'll see you next week. It's not the sermon. It wasn't even the worship. You guys are awesome. But it wasn't you either. It was Joe's smile that brought that lady back. Do you understand the power of the masses? Do you have the ability to do something significant and change your life? You know, I bet Joe was on welcome that day. Do you know how I already know that? I didn't have to check the roster. <laughs> She's on welcome every day. That's how I know. Wayne Cordero, he's a, he's a pastor of a church over in Hawaii. Uh, he said this, next slide. He says, I'm convinced that the influence the church has on its community will be determined in large part, not by the personality of the pastor, the size of its building, or how long the ministry has worked in the community. It will be determined instead by the percentage of involvement in the ministry of each member. This marks the transition from tenants to ownership, from being consumers to contributors. And if you understand what Wayne Cordero was saying, he's saying that when you get involved and when you begin to pitch in and when you help out and it might feel small but it's making a massive difference I'm so appreciative for all the people that we've got in our teams and for everyone that sort of contributes and pitches in and helps out and by the way newsflash that's step two for your life this is the next part of God's plan for you 
when you begin to serve, when you begin to act, you're starting to do something with the life, the new life that God gave to you. Man, we have so many awesome volunteers here. And just for a quick moment, I just want to watch a short video with, a, with an interview from some of our volunteers. My name is Vivian and I serve in the coffee shop. I first started serving because for me it just seems like it's an integral part of being Christian. What changed for me when I started serving was I just grew in my faith. I grew in knowing who God is and just understanding the whole big picture. What I love most about serving, it is just so much fun. Being able to impact people's lives, even if it's just with a smile, is such a privilege. The impact I see when I serve is you get to see God at work. You get to see Him touch people's lives, which like in its whole is so amazing. I started serving on the team at Activate Church because really I just wanted to help out. The thing that I love most about serving on this team, uh, that also brings me a lot of joy, which sometimes comes out uh, when I worship lead, is, um, is the fact that you don't have to be perfect and God will use you. Um, you can love and care and, and just build other people up, even if you're, you don't have everything like perfect. He, he, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. The impact that I have seen as I've served in God's house is actually, um, it's phenomenal. And I love it mainly because it's, because I know God is making that impact. But the main specific impact that we see, or that I could say that I see um, as we worship lead is just people um, making themselves vulnerable and encountering God's presence. Uh, in the service and I know that when that's been me that has meant a phenomenal life-changing revelation maybe or some breakthroughs coming um, but for me it's just yeah seeing people encounter God's presence I think is um, yeah one of the biggest uh, impacts I think that I've uh, that we see or that I see on, on that platform. So. Hi my name's Di and I'm serving on the guest team my husband and I, we started serving on the guest team because basically we were asked to. <laughs> In the past, it was probably the fear of the commitment, fear of not being reliable, um, having to obligate ourselves and not, and thinking that we had no freedom. But we've arranged it that we're on the same weekend every month and, and it works really well for us. The impact I can see that I can have, just being one person, that I can see God's house being represented well. That if I can put myself out of, take myself out of my comfort zone and be welcoming and loving, that that one person, it can make a difference in that one person's life. And if they come to know Jesus because they felt welcomed in a place like this, well, that's fantastic. That's just the best. Awesome. Hey, why don't we just give a huge round of applause to some of our volunteers.
just a couple of people that serve in our church that uh, are doing an outstanding job, but there are so many more people that serve. You know, the thing is, is that um, I think about our church. I, I, I love our church. I love our people. I love the vision of this church. You know, our vision, if you're, if you're new, is really to raise every generation to build the kingdom of God. And you might be sitting here today and you're in your 60s and you're retired. It's like, what next? Well, we want to find a way for every single person to build the kingdom of God wherever they are and wherever they find themselves at. And that's our, that's our vision. But how many of us know that I would have to be literally nuts to try to do this on my own? And I'm so glad that I don't have to. In fact, how about this? Did you know this? Just to put on a service, you come in today, you see a couple of people and you said hello to maybe one or two on the way in. And that it takes for every service, it takes about 40 people just to run sort of one service. And that's, that's like a, a, a minimum. And God is blessing our church and we keep growing and, and Man, I, I tell you right now, I'm praying that we have multiple services. I, that's a, have you ever asked for revival? You're asking for the same thing as me. I want to see more services. I want to see more people come to know Jesus. I'm asking for that all the time. But the thing is, is that it just requires more volunteers and more people helping out and more serving. And man, you know the reason why you serve? The reason why you would choose to do it is because your choices are limited. Just like Paul. And he couldn't walk away from that life. He made those decisions. He knew that it was going to cost time and energy and he was happy to pay. It didn't matter to him because you know what? He was compelled. Because when God gets hold of your heart, you are compelled to respond in love. And when you love God, you want to show Him how that, what that looks like. And love looks like serving. And it wouldn't matter if it was your church, it wouldn't matter if it was your family, it wouldn't matter if you're your co-workers or your boss. Love looks like serving. It's a verb. It's got to look like something. That's what it looks like when you do it. And so today, hey, this real simple day, real easy. We're going to close in, in just a minute. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.